Well, good morning. It's great to be with all of you again. Boy, there's much we need to continue as a church to be praying for. There's many of you have been able to come back from being sick, and I'm glad to see many of your faces I haven't seen for a bit, but we still have some families out that definitely need to be covered in prayer. And so uh, just continue to ask the Lord for that. If there's somebody that normally sitting nearby where you normally sit and they're not here today, please just uh, voice a prayer for them today. They, They need your help. You know, as you read through the Bible, so much of it is written in a Hebrew context or from a position of someone growing up in Israel. And so you have to kind of gather your cultural bearings to understand sometimes what's happening. And as we're making our way through the study of the book of Mark, certainly we're in a context of history where you're dealing mostly with a a nation, this nation that was responsible for ushering in the King, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've seen the witness of John the Baptist who comes and preaches the message of the gospel that Jesus is coming, the good news that the Savior's coming. And be ready for the Messiah. And so now Jesus shows up on the scene. And in our study, even last time, we saw some patterns that Jesus establishes that maybe we can learn from some of those again today. But as we look into the text of today, I want you to consider just the life of a, of a Hebrew child growing up and what that might look like for them. And maybe you can identify with the concept of being passed over. I was thinking this week of the number of things that uh, in life that I endeavored to do and really wanted to accomplish it maybe, but that wasn't for me. And I got passed over from that. I, matter of fact, if, if my parents would have named me Joe, my picture would be in the dictionary under average Joe. Okay? Because I looked at my, th- I thought, you know, everything about what I do, I'm, I'm an average size build. I have average when it comes to education and uh, the way I go about things, everything's kind of in the average. And I esteemed or aspired to do things that were at times above average. And I remember trying out for certain things along the pathway in athletics. And I had, you know, a lot of fun with that. But at the end of the day, oftentimes was, you know, you get told, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, you're just not, it's not enough. You're just not good enough. And so I can identify today with some guys in Scripture that maybe have felt that or had experienced that. Growing up as a Hebrew child meant that from by the time you were about age five, we think kindergarten age frame, so basically from kindergarten through your elementary age, you would be engaged in a study that would be uh, under a rabbi teacher where you're going to be learning the, the first five books of our Bible, math, or excuse me, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And you're not just learning them, you're memorizing them. So that by the time you're age 11, you should have Genesis through Deuteronomy memorized word for word. Now, by the time you reach age 11, it's going to shift gears a little bit and your teacher is going to start interacting with you to start uh, gaining understanding. And so the manner of that teaching was real interesting because this would be like, they pose a question and then you answer with a question. Now... As I just said that, if you'll think about, if you've read your Bible very much in the Gospels, especially where Jesus is talking, people will always ask him a question. And if you notice, he often will answer them with another question. Or the way he answers, it's like, that wasn't the question they were asking. Why did he do it that way? Well, no, it is the question they're asking. He's just working way ahead of them. So let me explain. So from about age 11 to age 14, your teacher may ask you, well, what is 2 plus 2? And your answer would be, what is 8 minus 4? And you would play this 
game back and forth, and it's not really a game, but the point was, do you understand or have you simply just memorized? Well, then by the age of 14 or so, this is where the rabbi would make some selections and choose the students that could proceed forward. Now, this is where the understanding of Scripture is really going to be drilled down. As a matter of fact, it's a pretty phenomenal to consider how they would go about their training and teaching at this point forward. This would be, a rabbi would begin a statement and would maybe quote two, three, four verses in a row and then pose a question about the fifth verse that's in the sequence of the Bible verses that we know. The answer then would be you would quote something out of another text, a reference to the same idea, and then your answer would be from another verse as well. So this is kind of the way this dialogue went. Well, why do I tell you this? Because usually by age 11, these kids would be selected to proceed forward in their training or be told you need to go home and go back to the family business and engage in the family trade. But if you were selected to train under a rabbi, that meant the rabbi would even say to you to take my yoke upon you. And they would follow so closely behind that oftentimes it would be described that the student of the rabbi would so mimic everything that the rabbi does that they would describe them as being covered with the dust of the rabbi. That if he bent down and picked up something, you bent down and picked up something. Everything they do, you do. And so, for the the sake of understanding what we're describing today, I've titled this message, Covered with Jesus Dust. Because what, what we have been called into is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ where we would follow so closely behind and everything that He's doing, we're covered with His dust. When He bends down, we bend down. When He stands up, we stand up. And we just follow and mimic exactly what He's doing. And so we, we want to go to the Bible to learn the manner of Jesus to reproduce that life. But here's what's going to happen today is Jesus is going to select the unlikely to be following after him. The average guys, the ones that, you know, kind of came up through the system, but by age 11 or 12, 13, 14, they weren't enough to enter into rabbi training. That wasn't their deal. Go back to the family trade. So they were told, you're the average Joe, go back to the fishing business. But that's not how Jesus sees them. It's not how Jesus sees any of you or didn't see me either. Though I may be average in everything possible, Jesus sees me as totally worth dying for and sees you the same. He sees you in the fact that He would pursue after you. The very fact you're sitting here today under the sound of my voice or whether you listen to this online, nevertheless, God has appointed a, 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 made an appointment with you to hear the truth of the Word in the pursuit of God on your life because he has, He's pursuing after you that you would know what eternal life looks like in Jesus Christ the Lord. And so as we begin this study again today from the book of Mark, I want to remember some things that Jesus has set forth a pattern. And let's just follow his pattern. When Jesus first showed up on the scene publicly, what did he do? He was baptized. Obviously, the baptism of Jesus became a pattern that those who follow after him, those who profess Jesus Christ as their Savior, now are baptized, making a public profession that I'm a follower of Christ. 
That's covered in Jesus dust. The day you got baptized, you had Jesus dust on you. You're like, whoa, I thought they washed it off in the tub. No, you got dust on you instead. But you follow after closely. Jesus then, in private, if you remember, went into the wilderness and fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights and then was tempted by the devil in all the manner the same way we are tempted in all things, yet he never sinned. But you learn something here. If I'm going to be a guy covered in Jesus dust, the fervency of prayer and the fervency to even fast and and maybe put away food and things that you might desire for your flesh just to pursue the Lord. I just want to know the Lord. I want to know his power. I want to know his person. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And so if I want to follow after Jesus and get dust on me like Jesus, it's going to be fervent in prayer. But even the private the privacy of spiritual battles that's taking place. But then Jesus went public again and was preaching. This became the priority of his ministry was to preach the word of God. And he, he was preaching the gospel. And you say, well, how's that possible? Because the gospel's the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he hasn't done that yet. So what message is he preaching? He's preaching that God is a merciful God, that God is a God of forgiveness. That God has sent His Son to pay your sin debt. And He was preparing the people for the great news that their sin debt would be paid. And that through the resurrection of Christ, new life in Christ. And so He goes about preaching this. And how did He do it? He would preach the message of what the kingdom looks like. God's kingdom. This is what God's kingdom looks like. You've heard that it's been said, but I say to you, this is what it really looks like. And he preached a different message than what they've been hearing from the other religious leaders. But it was the good news. Because people finally heard that, wow, I can actually be forgiven of my sin? Yes. And that was the message. He validated the message by being a miracle worker. So then there was no question he's the son of God. Because no one can do these miracles unless God does them. And so that's what validated. So we get now to the book of Mark. Chapter 1, verse 16. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Now, Mark's not, the gospel writer of Mark here is not giving us a lot of uh, details to this story. And quite frankly, if you read it at face value, you're thinking, this actually is not cool at all. Because these guys are fishermen. They were rejected back over here to not be in rabbi training. So that, that's not their deal. Their world is fishing. And they've got this fishing company. And obviously, uh, you've got two sons whose dad's named Zebedee that they've got their fishing thing going on with hired servants, so they must have a pretty good enterprise going on. And Peter and Andrew have this boat over here, and, and, and this Jesus guy shows up on the beach and says, hey, come follow me. And from this text, they all just drop their stuff, and Dad's standing here going, dude, I just went broke. If you just read it from here, that's the way it looks. It's like, Jesus just destroyed their business. But that's not the case. Mark's just giving you a snapshot version to be able to see... What are the priorities of Jesus? As the servant, the, Jesus the servant. Because that's what he's illustrating through his entire book of Mark is Jesus is the servant. He was the one who was baptized. He was the one who went into the wilderness. He's the one that was uh, preaching. And now what is he doing? He's making disciples. 
He's now selecting the ones that are the unlikely ones to be now the followers of him who will, mind-blowing, to choose unlearned fishermen who are going to be the very ones to continue the message of Jesus after he ascends back into heaven. And that he would train the seemed untrainable, the ones that are too average, the ones that aren't good enough. Now he's going to grab hold of them and say, yeah, I'm going to change your life and you're going to change the world. In fact, you get to the book of Acts and you find out the ministry of these men that the world around them all said, hey, these guys through their life, have, they've turned the world upside down. And so it's the work that only Jesus can do. So to get the bigger picture of what's happening here, from the fact that Jesus, yes, saw these men, saw their boats, saw their fishing industry, called them to follow, they do follow, but now we need more, we need more information. How did this all go to come to pass? Luke chapter 5 is the, is the detail of the story. The gospel writer of Luke gives us the information that Mark did not choose to do. So let's fill in the blanks. Luke 5 verse 1 says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him, meaning about Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. That is also called the Sea of Galilee, by the way. They're the same. Now, let's just stop here for a second. This multitude is pressing. Jesus has been passing through this area of Galilee and he's been preaching this message of the gospel, the good news that the Messiah is here, the kingdom is here, that God is merciful, God is kind, and God is forgiving. And then in, in him you have life and life eternal. And Jesus is preaching this message. He's done a couple of miracles up to now. So now there's a massive group of people following him. And they begin to press in to the place that now that as they come to the beachfront, you've got this massive group of people. They're all wanting to hear what Jesus has to say. And they're kind of crowding him and he's running out of space. And you guys could probably all imagine this. If you end up with this whole throng of people and now the water's at your back, you're, you're kind of getting pressed in a little tight and there's nowhere left to go. But in order to speak to the masses, you're going to be like screaming at the people right in front of you. That's not going to work. So let's see how it works. Luke 5, 2. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Well, now, the boats are sitting here. The guys that are actually over here casting their nets in the water and washing them. Because they fish at nighttime. During the day, you get your nets washed and repaired and take care of all the tackle. And then you put it all away. And then at night, you fish again. You don't fish during the daytime because the fish run deep in the day. At night, they come into the shallow water and it makes it easier to work with to be able to catch all the fish. Well, they're over here taking care of getting things put away after a night of fishing. Verse 3. Well, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. This is Simon Peter. And asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Don't miss... Jesus has a divine appointment right now with Simon Peter. Specifically going to the one who at some point was told, you're not good enough. But Jesus now asked to get in his boat. He says, hey, bump me out a little bit from the side so we can, we can talk to people. But I want you to notice as well the priority of Jesus. Not only is this a divine appointment for Peter which I pray you right now connect to this, that when the word of God is being communicated, God has made a divine appointment that you can hear it. You know, I was privileged to be raised in a home where my mom and dad took me to church pretty much every week. 
But I remember the day when there was a man standing up and preaching the gospel, the good news. And for whatever reason, it was that day when God spoke into my heart and convicted me. And I realized I was a sinner and I need a savior and I can't save myself. And I trusted Jesus that day to save me. But there was a divine appointment made for me that day that God was speaking into my heart and drawing me. And so I realized there's power every, every time we open up the word that God is drawing people to himself. He has a divine appointment for people to hear it and accomplishes miraculous things through it. Today may be the very day in your life that you receive Jesus as your savior and your entire trajectory of your life changes where now you went from being someone who was lost, someone who was a sinner without any hope in this world, to all of a sudden now you have this new life in Christ and your trajectory is now pointed directly to be with God forever in heaven and you know you're forgiven of your sin and your entire standing changes. Everything changes. Peter had this divine appointment, Simon Peter did, and not even knowing it. Jesus sat down and proclaimed the word of God to the multitudes. And I don't want you to miss this. Jesus came down to the beachfront teaching the word. And now things have gotten complicated and inconvenient. And so now he finds a way to keep doing it. The priority is for people to hear the good news. Jesus' priority of ministry is he's always teaching people. He touches and then he goes and talks to his father. There's a rhythm in Jesus' life that you see it throughout the Gospels. He teaches, he touches, and then he talks to the Father. The priority of teaching is so critical because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so this becomes part of being covered in Jesus' dust. If you're someone following closely behind Jesus to talk about Jesus and talk about the gospel and talk about the good news of your salvation and the testimony of how God changed your life becomes the norm of your life. And this is what I want to remind us of even today is the importance of teaching. And even when it's inconvenient and even when it gets very difficult, now the priority is still to teach. This reminds me of last summer when we were in Togo, um, we rolled into a village, tons of kids start showing up, and the priority is not the games and the activities, though those are super fun. The priority of us arriving there is that the gospel can be communicated to people who haven't heard the gospel yet. Well, then this deluge comes down out of the sky and swamps the whole thing, and so now what? Well, it wasn't prudent to play the games, but we were still able to get them into a, a space under shelter for what purpose? So they could hear the gospel. The priority was the teaching. Even when it got inconvenient, the, the natural thing to do would be like, well, you know, this is a total washout. Throw the gear back in the truck and let's go. We'll do this later. No. We prayed. God made a divine appointment. God has given the open door of access. Today is the day that the word of God needs to be proclaimed here because God's... God's pursuing the heart of people here today. And we, to operate with that kind of urgency and expectation, that's covered in Jesus' dust. In Luke chapter 5, verse 4, when, when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon, and I can totally understand this, said to him, Master, we toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. You know, to, 
kind of sympathize with Peter's life here. If you fished all night long and caught nothing on that dragging those nets, which weigh a ton, and you've just cleaned them, which means you took the time to pick out all the seaweed, and you've repaired them and tied all the knots because they get messed up, dragging through the shallow water and the rocks, and you just got all that done. And now this dude says, hey, let's press out into the deep and drop your nets in the deep. To catch fish during broad daylight means you are going to have to fish deep. None of this shallow water business is going to work. It's twice as difficult. Way more line gets let out on those nets. To pull all that up is even hard work. Even if the nets are empty, it's hard work. Nevertheless, at your word, Master, I will. Don't miss the words in which he spoke here because he calls Jesus master, recognizing his authority. And Jesus, by the way he would have even dressed, would have had a hem on the bottom of his robe that would have made it clear he's a rabbi teacher. And listening to him teach, there's no question this man speaks with authority of the word of God. There's no question of this. And so Peter's now having to reconcile this that, okay, fishing we will go here after a whole night of nothing. Well, in verse 6, it says, When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking, and so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they, they came and filled both the boats, and they began to sink. And obviously, Jesus is teaching a principle. At the sound of His voice, you obey my word and go fishing. And now you get to see that the Lord is the Lord over all creation. He is the one. And there is nothing too difficult for him. The things that might be out of season, seemingly, he puts them in season, instantly. You don't fish during broad daylight like this, unless Jesus says so. And Jesus says to cast that net to the deep, you put it in the deep. It reminds me of what Paul told Timothy as he was training him as a pastor. And he said, Timothy, you preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. In other words, take the out of seasons and make them in season. When the door of opportunity opens, and it may seem inconvenient, it may be hard right now, and you may not even see a lot coming out of it, and you may fish all night unto nothing. But when Jesus says to drop the net, drop the net, man. You take the out of seasons and make them in season right now. And so Jesus is teaching Peter something that's very critical, and that is when the Master speaks, you follow the way of the Master, and He is the Lord over all creation, and He can do things that no one else can do. And they filled this boat, and man, they called for help, and so here comes James and John, and they're hustling over there because there's so many fish. And in verse 8, And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And watch what He calls him now. Oh, Lord, he recognizes this is the Lord God. I am standing in the presence of God Almighty who's on my boat. And he falls down. And if you just notice what Peter says here, I'm a sinful man. I, I am unfit. You are the holy God, the powerful, the almighty, the everlasting, and you're on my boat. I am unfit. And it's, depart from me. You're in the wrong space. Don't you remember? I'm the one that was passed over. I'm, I'm just a fisherman. But Jesus had made a divine appointment. 
in pursuit of Peter's heart. And Peter catches it. And he cries out, O Lord. And in verse 9 he says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were John, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll catch men. But what's he afraid of? What is Jesus calling them to? The call now is to follow. He confessed him as Lord. He sees him as the master. But Jesus is now calling him to drop this. And I just want you to follow me. Is there a fear of leaving all this behind? Of that which is familiar? Is there a fear of inadequacy? Because you've kind of operated all this time under, well, I wasn't good enough for this, but, but here's a rabbi that is now calling me to follow him and to take his yoke, who he said later, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden's light. And he's now offering for me to take his yoke and to follow after him and be covered in Jesus' dust. And Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, all four of those men, they left behind the fishing business to now go follow Jesus. But Jesus uses the, a fun play on words with these guys because what they know in their industry is fishing. And he said, you know, I'm going to make you guys fishers of men. That's going to be your new deal. But they come from this from a position of these are the simple ones, guys. Later, when people want to revile Peter and Andrew, James and John and for their teaching and what they had to say, these men are foolish and unlearned and ignorant men. And here's what I think is so cool about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says this, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God's chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, yeah, God chose that too. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. And God takes and chooses the weak. God chooses the ones that we, the world says, you're not good enough. And Jesus says, oh no, you are perfect for me and my family. Isn't it interesting how we self-disqualify? That I'm not, I'm not good enough. I can't, I'm not a teacher and I, I'm not good with words and I don't write well and, and I can't do this and I can't do that. And we can reel off all the reasons why we're inadequate. And Jesus comes along and says, come follow me. And I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to take your life and I'm going to train you and equip you to do things you never thought you would do. And so you think about these guys now that are covered with Jesus dust and they now have to, they will for, choose to forsake all. And back to our story in Luke. So when they had brought our, their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. And don't think for a second that Zebedee, the old dad, standing there going, what in the world? My fishing business just collapsed. No, he's one happy man. Because to have your son selected by a rabbi... To be learners of the word and proclaimers of the word is a great high honor. And they left it all behind. 
But what does this look like? What's the point? If you just follow the patterns through your Bible, the people covered in Jesus' dust. They're proclaimers of the word. They're people that speak God's words. You think about what happened in Peter's life. Yeah, he make a lot of mistakes. Oh, for sure, makes for great sermons because he's, he's messed up a lot just like we do. But at the end of the day, this is a guy who stands before authorities and people of all nations and proclaims the word boldly. This is a guy that gets put in prison for his faith. This is a guy that gets let out of prison. This is a guy that ultimately is led to the place to be martyred for his faith, to be killed for his faith. And they wanted to crucify him, to mock him, to be just like Jesus. And he said, turn that cross upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified in like manner like my Savior. He's, pro, he's bold. He's a proclaimer of the word. But you know what else he does? The same way that Jesus took hold of him and valued him and invested in him and invested time and time, he also made disciples. And this very one who authors the book of Mark was discipled by Peter. Peter calls Mark my son in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. And Peter now reproduces his life so that when he's off the scene, someone else picks up the torch and they continue to run down the road further than he did. And you watch the others in the Bible that were covered in Jesus' dust. And, and I think about how Jesus, when he was ascending up on high, what did he say? His last words to people, to his followers were this. Go to all the nations and make disciples. Make fishers of men just like I've made them of you. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And you're going to do this in the power of God, because I'm going to do this through your life. And here was the whole point is, those covered in Jesus' dust saw the mission of God is, I'm going to take the word that I've learned, the salvation I have received, and I want to hand that off to someone else, and I want to keep teaching this truth that Jesus is the Savior. And I want to build people's lives according to the gospel and keep teaching what Jesus has taught me. It's the passion of my own heart. Just, I, I love this and the privilege to be able to stand here every week and teach the Bible is one thing, but to week in and week out to be able to share what, something that God has taught me and then teach that to someone else. I valued this so highly and I really didn't even understand the magnitude of this until I even got into the ministry several years ago and shortly after um, resigning from my, my job here in, in Missouri and moving to Florida and I was working with a pastor who was a, a great Bible teacher and a great man. And he was trying to teach me. I remember oftentimes he would bring me into meetings and conferences and things that he was doing. So I didn't say anything. I just sit and watch. I just wanted to listen. I just want to learn. How does he talk and how does he process and how does he help people that are in difficult situations that I've never been in? And I just sit and watch. And all of a sudden one day, he has a brain aneurysm and dies. And now the, this mantle get, just gets handed off and... And I realize now that the very things that he's been teaching me this whole time now, I, I'm responsible for this. And I remember this rush of impassion came over me that, well, God, you've given me children. I have now four sons. And everything I know how to do and everything I know about your book, I want my boys to learn this. And I want to teach this to them. 
But not just to them, but to anyone you put in my pathway. This becomes the passion of my life. As I, want. I was given the Bible by people that taught me, how to, taught me how to study it, how to learn it, and then how to hand it off to other people. And that becomes the passion of what I'm personally about. But the, here's the deal. This is my passion for our church. Is that all of us would see the mission of God so distinctly and that we would all be zealous to be covered in Jesus dust. To follow the, the same patterns of Jesus' life to be proclaimers of His word and take the word that we've grown in and matured in and turn around and hand that off to someone else and keep doing that over and over. Because here we are, guys, 2,000 years later, and we're still receiving the word and handing it off as it was given. And it's a responsibility that we have, not only in this community, but around the world. And we've come into a really interesting time in culture and history, and it's concerning in the church. Not just ours, but any church across the planet. In this last couple of years, COVID has shifted a lot of things in church life. Because now it's very much an isolation for safety's sake sometimes, but it reaches past that. To where now it's an isolated, and I kind of like doing uh, church in my jammies. And, and I like to listen to the things online. And I've kind of found my guys that, that they, they've learned the Bible for me. And they just spoon feed me every day. And I kind of like it. And I don't really need to be around other people so much. And so the, the desire that once the church had to be house to house and to pray together and see the power of God working together and, and for the older men to teach the youngers and the older ladies to teach the younger ladies as we are instructed to do in Scripture. And some of that just falls away on the wayside because, well, we've we got to stay away. And, and I, you know, I just do better by myself. And, and I don't have time. By the time, good grief, by the time I take care of my family and my job. And, well, who's got time to invest in everybody else's family? And I, I have to ask the question in my own life is, if the entire church in all of Christendom organized their life and ran their life according to mine, would the mission be accomplished? Or would we have happy families that know the Bible of our own family units, but nowhere outside of that is just for us four and no more? And it's the danger that we run into in Christianity right now. It's a, there's a lot of pressure on this. And so my call to our church today is this, as followers of Christ covered in Jesus dust, that your passion of your heart, that God would speak to that today to, and ignite a fire there of not just being a proclaimer of the word, but to invest in the lives of people who don't know Jesus yet, or maybe to have just come to know Christ, but they don't know the Bible. And they, they don't know Jesus the way you do. And so that's we're going to fulfill the mission to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. And that we would be passionate for that. And I watched this pattern throughout Scripture because I watched what did, what did Paul do? Paul trained up Timothy. And Timothy was to, instructed to train others. Remember this in 2 Timothy 2 too. And Paul told him this. He said, the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who can teach others also. Take what you've learned and hand it off. In our church, we call this discipleship. It happens in one-on-one -on -one relationships oftentimes. And I know how that impacted my own life. And I, I speak into this a lot, but this is a passion in my heart that our church would embrace the ministry of discipleship, doing it the Jesus way where it's an intentional investment to help people grow in the Word and know the Word of God, to know God. 
And it's not just one-on-one meetings. It happens oftentimes in, in group situations as well. Where we learn the Bible and you, we learn from teachers. And, but we learn to pray together. We learn to love one another well. And we learn how to meet the needs of others in our groups. And we, yeah, that's discipleship as well. And it's the instruction of the word to learn. How do you even study the Bible? And what do I do with it once I have it? And, and there's this plea from not only locally, but this even goes globally. Of We have mission partners saying, Dwayne, could you send some people or bring some people to here so that they might teach us how to, learn, how to study, how to learn? We, we want to know more. Guys, we have this incredible responsibility from our Savior who has called us unto salvation eternal in Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I want to be covered with Jesus' dust. That wherever Jesus is going, that's where I go. When He bends down, I bend down. And when He stands up, I stand up. He's like, well, how do you know what that is? It's really cool because He's recorded His words. His words are in Scripture. His instructions are clear. And as we pray, we hear and we see. And He just keeps showing you one step at a time. My appeal to our hearts today is this. If you're not a Christ follower yet, God's made a divine appointment with you today. You are here right now hearing the word of God because God wants you in his family forever. God sent his own son to pay the debt you cannot pay yourself. You have a sin debt. We've all violated God. No one in here is perfect. And so God sent a Savior, His own Son, to pay our sin debt. When He died on the cross, your debt was paid in full. But Jesus rose from the grave alive on the third day and conquered death, conquered hell. And so when we by faith put our faith and trust in Jesus, not only does the Father forgive our sin and pardon us of all the junk, but now He also assures us of eternal life that we will spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternity in heaven with God. How does that happen? What's that? How's that transaction work? By faith. Believing on the Word of God and by faith calling out to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm a sinful man just like Peter did. Please save me. And that's a prayer that God hears and God answers and then assures you. And my appeal today is to the Christians as well. The greatest investments you're ever going to make in your life are the eternal ones. It's investing in people. They're the most difficult, takes the most time, it will cost you the most. It's also the only ones that last forever. And so all the other stuff that consumes so much of our energy and so much of our time and so much of our resources, yeah, a lot of it's very important. But not eternal. The things Jesus invested in, eternal things. So to be covered with Jesus' dust reshapes my focus. I want to focus on that which lasts forever.